All right, we are back. John had some very curious things to say about uh, about Berlin in 1936. There are a few controversies uh, surrounding what, what happened, particularly the actions of Adolf Hitler and, and the actions of Jesse Owens. And I'd like to explore that, but I think I'm going to put that off to next week's program because uh, it just may take a few minutes to do, and we're running out of time. So what we'll do instead in the eight or so minutes we have left available to us is to do a few science topics. Probably the least surprising item regarding science I saw in the last week was was this. Animal researchers apparently showed 17 dogs with no prior training pictures of people and other dogs displaying happy, playful expressions or angry ones, while also playing audio clips of unfamiliar voices or barks. The dogs spent much more time looking at image when the expressions they saw matched the emotional state of the audio clip. This suggests that they integrate information from different senses, including what they see and hear, to read the emotions of people and other canines. Researchers believe humans favored this powerful survival trait throughout generations of domestication, meaning that science may have confirmed what countless pet alreadys already know. Dogs know exactly how we're feeling. And that this intrinsic ability to read and respond to emotions, which until now had only been demonstrated in primates and humans, is not just the result of learned behavior in individual dogs. Well, anyway, is that, is that about the least surprising thing you've heard today? A more surprising factoid from the animal world might be the fact that uh, researchers at North Carolina State University took a look at uh, arthropods, you know, insects mainly, but also spiders, centipedes, etc., and assessed how many of them are living in what are described as otherwise clean and normal homes. And it turns out there are, there are, on average, 100 species of creepy crawlers in our houses. Now, apparently, they took a look at 50 detached houses in Raleigh, North Carolina, and found 579 species, mainly insects, but also spiders, mites, etc., and noted that the residents were really surprised and often horrified that we found so much. We had to calm them down by saying it was normal. And yes, in fact, most of these things cannot be considered pests. They're peaceably cohabiting with us. So don't reach for the phone to call the Orkin Man just yet. The researchers say this, uh, the results here dispel ideas that modern homes are sterile deserts. They show instead that they teem with unseen life. The biggest surprise to them was finding at least one species in almost every room, with only five of the 544 rooms they checked drawing a blank. And some have adapted to live in human homes permanently, such as cobweb spiders and book lice. They also warned that the exact proportions of creatures which they found in the suburbs may differ from those in inner city tower blocks or in rural houses. And uh, here's another piece on arthropods, in this case insects, in this case fossil insects. It turns out that they've now uncovered, well, a dead ringer for a modern butterfly. I mean, it's got the wings of a butterfly right down to uh, the spot that some of them have. But it turns out the fossil is not of a butterfly. They're actually lace wings. It just looks like a butterfly and what's a classic example of convergent evolution. There appears to be a 69 million year gap, as far as we know, between these creatures and the first fossils of actual butterflies. Pretty interesting story, but since we are stuck by our lack of pictures here doing radio, uh, for more information, you probably should go to the web and take a gander at these two interesting side-by-side animals. If you will Google up fossil lacewing butterfly, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about.
All right, here's a story from New Scientists, as only New Scientists would cover it, since their headline was, Farting Plants Kick Up a Stink If Irked. Well, it turns out it's been known for decades that if you disturb the ground around uh, the roots of certain plants, in particular members of the mimosa genus, uh, they will release some putrid smells. It has been assumed until now that these odors were released passively as a result of tissue damage, like when you crush a bay leaf or an onion. But researchers discovered that the roots of some of these species actively release their foul smells. In fact, the roots are touch-sensitive. They release the odors when they're accosted, which is sort of what the mimosa leaves do, too. If you touch them, they tend to, like, withdraw from you. (laughs) One of the researchers, even a seedling just a few centimeters high, can fill a room with a disgusting smell. Well, we may have some suggestions here for gifts for people you don't like. Certainly serves as a warning to me because I have a mimosa plant in the south side of my house. I need to do some trimming around the roots so we can paint. Yes, I will be on guard. All right, a couple items from space, one from deep space. Turns out the weirdest star in the cosmos has gotten weirder. Known as KIC 8462852, or Tabby's Star. This has been fascinating people because of the way its light curve has been dipping in brightness. It's been doing so in some pretty bizarre ways. Now, if a planet passes in front of a star, we here at Earth may observe a very small, regular blip. But this star has been dipping in brightness erratically through the four years it was observed, sometimes losing as much as 20% of its brightness. At first, they thought that maybe a large cloud of comets or asteroids surrounding the uh, distant star maybe um, maybe doing this, but eh, they've done some math and say that doesn't seem to hold up. What's also curious is they've been able to look back at photographic plates taken over the past uh, uh, 100 years, 100 plus years, and have found that there's certain trends in the brightness of the star that indicate that, well, something weird's going on. Some would like to think that this might reflect an alien civilization orbiting that uh, distant star. Noted physicist and former Radio Parallax guest Freeman Dyson has proposed that extraterrestrial civilizations might build structures around their stars to capture a significant part of the energy, and some fanciful people have proposed that maybe that's what's going on here at Tabby's star. Well, probably not, but until this mystery is resolved, well, that that remains, you know, a distant possibility. All right, we have time for one item left, and this will mean that we're going to have to bump our talk about Matt Taibbi into next week's program, but oh well, it happens. Happens on a regular basis, actually. For my final item, I want to... uh, Refer to Mike Brown, the Caltech physicist who's now talking about Planet X being out there. When Mike Brown discovered the largest Kuiper Belt object, which was later named Eris, he spearheaded the effort to say, no, I didn't actually discover a tenth planet. It means we have to demote some of these other objects to being something other than a full-fledged planet. And thus, Pluto got demoted. Now, in the wake of the New Horizons mission flying by Pluto and getting a a new measurement of its diameter, they discovered that it actually was a hair bigger than Eris. And of course, as reported here and elsewhere, Pluto turned out to be a way more interesting place than most people imagined. In fact, data continues to stream in and surprise people from the craft, which is slowly sending the data that that it gathered back to Earth bit by bit. But I guess what struck this correspondent was that Mike Brown was not deterred by the fact that uh, Pluto was a a hair bigger than Eris. He counters with the fact that, yeah, but Eris has a bigger mass. In fact, it has so much more mass than Pluto that if you took Ceres, also labeled a dwarf planet, and 
all of the other bodies in the rocky asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter and crammed them all together with Pluto, you'd still have less mass than Eris. I read that and thought he was being cocky and full of it, but I looked up the numbers and he's right. Of course, we should note that these are still not very large objects. Both Eris and Pluto have less than one-fourth the mass of our very own moon. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars And by God, that about does it for today's program. Our thanks to John Lissack. The NBC Sports documentary featuring John and others will air February 14th. This documentary will coincide with a February 19th release of Race, a Focus Features biopic about Jesse Owens, who, as we know, won four gold medals at those games. If you Google up NBC Sports 1936 Olympics, you'll actually pull up an article about John, which has a picture of him, and his team, the Yonkers Paddling and Rowing Club. When NBC came to visit, John had to sadly note that he had lost his picture of uh, the rowing club. I'm delighted to note that I've got one printed up and we'll be taking it to him tomorrow. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time and hopefully talk about some financial follies through the eyes of Matt Taibbi, Michael Lewis, and our financial correspondent, Bob Dunham. We'll see you then. song let me sing forevermore you are all i long for all i worship and adore in other words